Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 134, and we are going to try to talk about the entirety of the Stormlight Archive as a whole. We are going to sit down and talk about it like a book club, more and more than more so than normal, and discuss the ins and outs of did we enjoy the Stormlight Archive? Have we enjoyed it where it's going? What our expectations were, etc. etc. Paul, how are you? Woo, I'm great. Trevor, there is no try, there is only do. So we are going to talk about this successfully. We're going to do it well. Elliot? I'm doing great. Looking back on how far we come, it's pretty It's pretty awesome, actually. You, you ready to go on a little journey with me? Yes. All right. Brace yourselves. This is for our YouTube uh, viewers, not our audio folks. I apologize. All right. Let's hope I don't disconnect my camera right here. All right. See that? Ooh, that yes. is the entire stack of books we have read on this podcast. Like the camera does not do it justice. That's like a, a two foot tall stack of paper, many millions of words that we've gone through. Like it's actually pretty incredible. Yeah, that is. Edge Dance isn't quite on there, is it? it it's Jeez, in Arcanum. Oh, that's right. That's right. Nice. So yeah, so I'm doing great. Fabulous. I will not ask for two words to summarize the Stormlight Archive, <laughs> but uh, let's uh, let's discuss the entirety of the Stormlight Archive. Okay. Can I actually kick this off right quick, Trevor? Go for it. This is unrelated to our actual content, but I, I do want to just say a, a really, really humongous, as big as possible, thank you to everyone who's viewing this um, and all of our supporters, because I didn't think we'd have, whenever we started, I didn't really think we'd have anyone listen. This was just for us. And it's, you know, it's still something I enjoy and I do because I, I love talking about these books with you guys, but it's been super fun to see how many people hop into our discord and uh, stir up conversation and comment and everything. It makes it super, super fun. Uh, and and I'm incredibly grateful for that. And I know y'all are as well, but I wanted to start with that before we uh, really all in dove in to our uh, discussion. So yeah. Oh, in remembrance um, my mug today is a repeat mug. Wow. <gasps> the first ever. Oh my goodness. I actually think it's the second because I think I've used, I think this might actually be my third time using this mug. I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Um, but other than this mug, I have not repeated another mug, but this is probably my favorite mug. It's got our, our commissioned uh, official artwork on it, which you cannot see from the the video very well but it's got three little people on roshar with a high storm ruling in and that is us and i'm very proud of us and uh it's a very cool mug and i i figured i'd do that to kind of wrap up what we have right now so that's in memory sounds good okay 
I agree. Thank you for everybody who's who's listening. I do want to start this episode. Let I wanted to tell the story. I don't know if we've ever done this of how this podcast started and why and where and and what and who was the was the start of this podcast. So this is probably 2017. I read The Wave Kings for the first time. And it hooked me. I I listened to it at work, so my retention level of The Wave Kings was really low, like probably 10%. And I knew there was Words of Radiance. I knew there was um, Oathbringer coming out shortly after that. Um, and I finished The Wave Kings, and I remember thinking to myself at work, I was listening to it, I was like, wow, I got none of that, but I loved it. So that same day, I didn't even like give myself any breather room. I rewound the entirety of the Wave Kings. I did not go move move on to Words of Radiance, and I re-listened to the Wave Kings before I moved on to Words of Radiance. And that the second one, I only played it when I was actually like listening, like completely focused. It was not background. I I focused on it. And I went through the Wave Kings the second time, and that read was probably right at the beginning of 2018, I think. That read, I would not shut up about it to everybody. Everybody I talked to, I would I would say, please, please read this. It's so good. I had uh, Tim had read it at that at that point, so I had really good dialogue back and forth with Tim about it, and uh, he was the only person that had read the Wave Kings in my life at the time. So he was the only person I really got to talk to. I didn't really get involved with like online forums or anything like that uh, with Reddit and, you know, stuff like that. So I would just talk the ear off of anybody who would listen, please read this book. It's so good. It's so good. Made my way through words of radiance and Oathbringer and all that fun stuff. And now I have successfully gotten a lot of people in my personal life to have read the Stormlight Archive. I could probably count 20 or maybe more people that have read the Stormlight Archive because rooted back to me. So, Elliot, his... Well, let's start with Paul. Paul's the first one to pick it up between the two my two podcast hosts here. And he picked it up but didn't... Like, reluctantly yes uh, he you read a little bit you read like i don't know a couple chapters and then i'd ask you about it and you're like shut up trevor and then i asked and then you you know read a couple more pages and you you know you were working your way through it. it took you took you a little bit which is fine and so i was you know really really pushing you to to read it and you had finally finished part one and elliot texts me elliot says hey i finally picked up the way of kings i'm fine i'm starting it tonight and i was like oh that's awesome and then that night i thought to myself that the the night elliot texted me i thought to myself man i really want to talk to elliot about the way of kings as he goes through it that that sounds like a lot of like i really I don't know. I was really looking forward to talking to Elliot finally about the Way of Kings. I'd been bugging about him for years at that point, or probably a year and a half, two years, I don't know, whatever. Um, at least two, I think. And so I was like, man, I'm really looking forward to look, to talking talking to him about it. And then it dawned on me, well, what if we recorded it and posted it? Because I'm sure if I'm that excited, there are other people 
that would be just as excited to hear Elliot's thoughts on the Way of Kings. So then I texted, or I probably Discord messaged Paul, like, where are you in the Way of Kings? And you're like, oh, I just finished part one. And then I even had, I was like 10 chapters in. And then I said, do you want to restart it? (laughs) (laughs) And then you had to pretend that you hadn't read, you know, the first whatever chapters of the Mm -hmm. Way of Kings. So you were a rereader for that little portion. But that is how the podcast really started. The original goal was to get my older brother and get Paul to read the Stormlight Archive. That has been accomplished. Now, second goal of the podcast is to get a very good understanding of the Cosmere going into going into Stormlight 5. That is, that is the stretch goal, if you will, for the podcast. So that is the origin of the podcast. If we've never talked about it, I don't think we have. Um, turn it over to you guys. From your perspectives, how, how was that entire journey of me pestering you for you? And what were your expectations of that huge book, The Way of Kings, before you picked it up? So I, I can go first on, on this one. I, I love fantasy fiction. It's my my top favorite. So when, when Trevor told me about this book, I was like, eh, okay, I'll, I'll get to it someday. And then when you messaged me again, like a month later, have you have you started yet? No, Trevor, I haven't, I haven't started yet. I'll, <laughs> I'll get to it someday. Like it's okay. And like you know, another month later, you know, this book is awesome, right? I was like, okay, fine, I'll do a little <laughs> research on it. So I did a little research on it. I'll be I'll be honest. This is back in like the 20, 2018, maybe twenty nineteen timeframe. I wasn't super impressed, and I and I want to apologize to the uh, Michael Whalen. Yes, I want to apologize to Michael Whalen because I do think his art is fantastic. But when I pulled it up on on Google and and I saw this this cover, my first reaction was actually not a good one. It was like, oh yeah, that's just another carbon copy, not so great fantasy. I've picked up a bunch of those and they they were not very good. I didn't even make it through the first book. So I, I kind of wrote it off as, oh, it's just another one of those not so great Lord of the Rings, Wheel of Time wannabes. And it wasn't till 2020 that when I when I finally kind of burned through my reading list and was like, well, I need something to read. So I, I was like, oh, well, Trevor's been bothering me about Way of Kings for two years now. So I really should just, you know, do him do him a favor and, and at least read it. So I I actually hopped on a, a used bookstore online. I was like, I don't want to spend any money on this. I'm going to find the cheapest version of this book I can. I spent $3, y'all, on a used version, used version of Way of Kings. It comes in the mail, and I send Trevor that picture. I sent, I text you a picture of the cover. And I was like, hey, I'm starting it. I'm doing it. And that's when you came back with the, well, do you want to do a podcast on it? Sure. Why not? Lo, lo and behold, Trevor was absolutely right. And this is now among my favorite story fantasy series of all time. So good job, Trevor. Your 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 diligence, your perseverance paid off. I I, I appreciate it. It's all about That's the journey of pestering your friends, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I hope that journey was worth the destination, I guess, you know? Um my side was very different because I've always loved fantasy stories. I've never liked reading. I didn't want to read a book. If I had to do Elliot's side of of reading the physical book to start, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be on this podcast. Like I wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Now I, I'm actually thinking like you know I will I will do the 
audiobook for book five, but I'm like, man, I kind of want to get the book and actually read it, you know? Yeah. Um, and honestly, I think this podcast has made me become a reader. I've started reading way more, and I'm, I'm really, really happy about that in general. Um, because I, I couldn't say to read, but Trevor kind of coached me with this audiobook. I was like, okay. I did hard I sell the audiobook for you. I do that a lot. I could, I could do that. I, I could make that work. You know, it'd be fun. I, sh- I should read, you know, all the things. And it took me a while to get hooked. Like I said, I'm not a big reader. I, it took, it took me a while. I was super fascinated initially by like the mysteriousness and coolness of like Zeth, right? But like the actual storyline, it wasn't until later on that I would say I was like hooked and really invested. Um, maybe even like end of book one into Words of Radiance was when I was like, okay, this is really cool. Um, maybe maybe the Sainter Lynch of Words of Radiance was whenever I'm like, okay, whether or not this podcast keeps going, I will keep going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I had a different side of it there, and I more so was excited to hang out with my friends than I was to read a book. But um, but it, it's been a blast, and I'm super, super glad that, I, that I've done it and has really gotten me into... Brendan Sanderson, and honestly, into more high fantasy in general. All right, I'm going to make you guys watch a clip from our first episode. I asked you guys what your expectations of the Stormlight Archive as a whole were. And here is your response. Elliot, do you have any predictions, expectations, hopes of not only the Way of Kings, but the whole Stormlight Archive? that we're about to jump into. Ooh, big question to start out with. Absolutely. Um, Expectations really high. You've, you've sold this one pretty hard. So my, my expectations are, are high. Um, I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for Epic. I'm hoping for a grand scale of story, which I think I've already gotten a little taste of that in these first few chapters. Um, yeah, I'm hoping for adventure. I'm hoping for, I'm hoping for good characters, characters I can root for, characters I can get behind. Hopefully, they don't all disappoint me. We'll see. We will see, and you will get epic. Don't worry, Paul. <laughs> what are your expectations going into this? Also, very big. Um, you've worked tirelessly to get me to to read slash listen to this book. Um, so I'm making a big commitment here. Um, I'm really hoping for some good character development. That's usually my favorite favorite thing in stories. It's what makes me really intrigued. So I'm really hoping for some of that. Um, I have very high hopes. I'm hoping it's at least, or I'm hoping it will be as good as Lord of the Rings in my mind. Uh, you've sold it that high. Though, I have so sold it that, that high. That's not something I would say lightly. <laughs> okay. First of all, shout out to old Elliot Internet that his camera <laughs> pausing every three seconds for another three seconds. So was, I missed that. Uh, I also tabbed out in that clip of the first 30 seconds of the entire podcast. I tabbed out and the screen flashed. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what are you guys' takeaways of your expectations? First glance, I think uh, my podcast setup has changed the most but i think Elliot's is the most improved okay at a, at a service value as far as our predictions um we we were kind of vague 
uh, Elliot was like, I'm hoping for an adventure. I'm hoping, and, and I was like, you know, I'm hoping for character development and things like that, um, which are great things to want. And, and that's, I, I would say that's what we've gotten. Um, but I don't think we knew what we were signing up for. We we really didn't know what we were signing up for, did we? I I said in there that I wanted epic, a, a grand scale of of a story. Little did I know what I was stepping into. I thought I had gotten some of that when I read, you know, the prelude and the prologue. Oh, oh boy, poor naive Elliot from from two and a half years ago. Man, it. If if that if my goal there my expectation was was a hundred percent I think Stormlight Archive achieved that like two hundred percent and more. It combined with the rest of the the Cosmere. I don't even think I knew at that point what the Cosmere was or that there were even other books that tied into this. I thought this was oh we're going to go on an adventure story with Kaladin. Great, let's do it. And here we are, as I just showed you my stack eight books later. And oh man. I I also said in there I said in there that I didn't want the characters to disappoint me. And that was my that was my biggest fear of this whole series going in. Was I I'd picked up fantasy series before where I got halfway through the book and was like, "Man, I I don't like any of these characters." And that is the number one do not finish wall for me is if I get halfway through a book and I'm just like, man, I really don't care about any of these characters. Like that's what, that's what I need to help me, you know, be excited to pick up the book again. As I'm like going through my day, my work day, if I have a character that I'm like, man, I really want to see what that character does next. That gets me through the day so that at night when I'm you know, just before bed, I can pick up the book and, and read a little more. Like that's what I need to, to keep me going. And I've read books before that didn't have that, where it was like, yeah, I kind of want to finish this book, but I don't really care what happens. Stormlight definitely did not fall into that. I was always invested. Invested? Yeah. Capital in, I? Mm-hmm. Yes. In all of these characters, even the ones that I didn't like so much, I still was very intrigued by them and wanted to see what they did next. And so that that had me hooked from the start and hasn't let up at all. So definitely met my expectation there. Yeah, I, I think looking back at that clip, Elliot almost sounded a little bit pessimistic. He's like, I yes, there's at least one character I can get behind. Right. You know? and he's being a little cheeky, but yes, he's he is yeah. afraid of what have I gotten myself into type of. Yes, thing. yes. Yeah. All right, Paul, you put this in the outline. The the scale, the magnitude of the Cosmere. We, we've talked several times on the podcast of zooming out through Stormlight books, and you start very small, and the, by the time you're prepping for Stormlight 5, you're, oh my goodness, I cannot keep my brain straight. Oh, definitely. Is, is, that, a, is that a pro or a con? I'll say that's a pro. Because it's what gets you really excited to get other people to read. Because it's way more than you expect. Um, I could agree with Elliot, actually, about the Way of King's art, uh, cover art. When I saw it, I was like, okay, this is going to be a tale of, like, a knight. Um, some, some knights, and they're going to do their chivalrous thing. And it's going to be a happy little story, you know. Um, 
and I did not, I, I did not know I was signing up for the interconnectivity between several other worlds and and things like that. Um, I did not know I was signing up for how in depth our like magic system is going to be. How rigid, like this was my first, I guess, really structured like hard magic system. I guess I've seen it in other stories and things, but like reading really understanding it really diving into the mechanics this is the first for me that's not what i expected i've i don't know if i've expected or, or experienced this level of it in in fantasy especially reading um i would say my next most i've dived really far into at least like theory crafting things like that is probably like game of thrones stuff way back when um but it, it's definitely a different level of magnitude than I than I expected. I expected more of a quote normal story, um, and this is way grander in scale. So this next question, and I'll answer it too, is probably obviously a yes for all three of us because we're recording this episode at the moment. But um, you have to get through a lot. To let, let's talk specifically about the end of Oathbringer, because the end of Oathbringer is a very iconic, very well sculpted ending, and for it to matter as much as it matters to a lot of people, you have to have read and fully digested The Way of Kings, Words of Radiance, and Oathbringer. So, is that entire journey to not be too stormlight cliche? Is that entire journey worth the payoff that Oathbringer and Rhythm of War bring? Of Do you get too fatigued as a reader reading the Stormlight Archive, or is it give me more? Where do you fall on the scale? I'll answer this as well, but I'll answer last. I can go first, I guess. Me personally, as a reader, I'm a give me more type. I like the depth. I like the background. I like the lower bits of it. Like some of the slow parts that we got were some of my favorite sections to read, actually, because it was helping me figure out the physics and the science behind the world. So I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for more and more of that. My favorite book of all time is, is The Silmarillion which is like the, the poster child for turns people away from it because they can't finish it type of book. Like I love the density of a book like that. And Stormlight has that density. It's, it's just kind of spread out amongst the, the action scenes that you get. So personally, I love that. What I like even more that's not specific to, to my own tastes is I absolutely love, this might be my favorite thing about Stormlight, ever at all throughout this whole thing is that the message of the story, like the, the one takeaway quote, if you will, is that journey before destination. That theme keeps coming up over and over and over again. I absolutely love that the theme of the book requires the reader to buy into it right. in order for you to get out of foot what this book can offer. That the message that what the story is telling you is journey before destination. In order to get to that Sander Lanch of Oathbringer, you have to go on that journey. You have to read the 3,000 pages that are on the way to get to that. And so 
I've never, I think I've talked about this on episodes in the past. I've never read a book like that that is so immersive in that sense of what the characters in the story are learning or are going through. You have to go on on your own reader journey of it. Yeah. Not even taking into account the the actions or the world itself, simply the number of words you have to read, the number of steps you have to take to get to the destination is so huge that that journey, when you look back on it, it's like, wow, I got to that point of Oathbringer that was so epic. Dalinar had that fantastic moment where he claims his, his pain to himself. He takes responsibility for his own actions. Amazing. But as you look back on it, you're like, wow, that meant so much because it was so difficult in a sense to get there. I love that. It's so meta. It's so just living its own ethos as a story. It's it's amazing. I've never seen any other author do anything like that. Okay, my turn. If I read this on my own, I briefly mentioned this before, I don't think I would have kept it up. I just knowing myself as a reader, probably like two-thirds of the way into way of kings i might have like i probably would have gotten I, pr- I probably would have petered out and especially i'm thinking how much there is to understand it has to be so hard as an individual reader if you don't ever talk to anyone to understand the workings that are going on in book four yeah absolutely there's there's so much and that's my one thing that I guess it has made me cautious with this series and promoting the series. I've gotten a number of my friends to uh, to start reading this book. Not quite as many as Trevor, but at least five now of my friends here. And it's kind of fun to hear them come to me with questions. They're like, what? Yes. Um, I appreciate that Brandon does a lot to help people like me get through this. Like Seth Kaladin, um, Adolin Duels. I, I love imagery. Like, like, not necessarily like scenery. But, like, really cool graphic imagery. I'm thinking of Sander Lanch of Book 2, when Kaladin, like, swears his ideal and gets his shard blade. That's the first time I've audibly gasped and reacted, like, loudly to reading a book before, was when he pulls out Sil, Sil as a shard blade. And, like, the imagery of that scene is Stretch remarkable. forth thy hand. <laughs> Where Sil yes. all of a sudden becomes old English, like... Speak yes. the words, stretch forth thy hand. Yes, that's a good scene. Exactly. Like that 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 got me big time. Um and stuff like that. Making it to points like that, or probably middle of, of words of radiance, I would have kept going for sure. But it took a while for me to get personally hooked. Yeah. Um I wasn't that's not to say I was reading this just like for your sake or anything like that. Like I was also reading this because I was enjoying it. But I think if I had the physical book and I had to sit down and set apart time to like sit down and read it on my own, I don't know if I would have stuck with it or not. So, um, so here's here's the question. Um, Brandon Sanderson's editor, when he gets the Way of Kings, you want? Can you guess what he told him? Way too long. Way too long. Okay. Here's what he told him. Okay, give me. 200,000 words. You, I will allow you 200,000 words to, to write the Way of Kings. And then, once your series starts picking up, then you can release the 200,000 words 
Silmarillion of the Way of Kings. You can release the history book to go along with the Way of Kings, and those who want to read that can read that, and those who want the story of Kaladin can read the story of Kaladin. And Brandon Sanderson says that defeats the purpose. That defeats the purpose. I'm trying to tell a story here where when Syl turns around and says what comes first, a spren or what they're attracted to, and Kaladin's honor is what takes him back there, that you have to read the entire backstory, you have to read every Kaladin flashback to get there, and he refused to do it. Um, which is why he held on to the Way of Kings for so long. Um, before he didn't publish it till after Mistborn, after he was already a successful, he already made it as a writer, if you will. So to bridge the gap between you, Paul, and you, Elliot, of Elliot, and I said I would answer, so I, I, I will hear now. I am the Way of Kings is a perfect length for me. The Way of Kings is slow, grindy for several parts but then as soon as kaladin picks up the bridge or picks up picks himself up from the honor chasm and says i will i will rescue these men that is my job i was on board from then and so that's fairly early but until that point it's dragging for me i'm like okay where is this going where is this going but as soon as he picks himself up and says i will I will get these men out. That's that's when it picks up for me. The Way of Kings is like a perfect length, perfect substance for me as a as a book. I'm probably between the two of you. Um, if he had listened to his editor and given a two hundred word or two hundred thousand word half the half the length to his editor, what do you guys think would have happened with that? Is that would that have been a good book or would that have not been a good book? I th I think if it's just covering the story of Kaladin to Dalinar at the end of the book, giving up Oathbringer, it would have still been a very good book. Um, we get so much more insight into the world with Shallan and everything else going on, which, like, I would say I'd prefer that more. Um, but I I'm assuming if we had the 200,000-word version, that's what we would have seen was just Kaladin to Dalinar storyline and i think that Sh would have been a good book shallan might be cut entirely from that yeah book. That, that's what i imagined if right. you have two hundred thousand words to, to answer your question i think the book still would have been good i think sanderson's writing stands on its own i think right. he the writing alone is quality enough that it would have sold it would have it might have even initially sold more than right. it did because I'm sure there are groups of people. I'm sure, in a sense, the editor and the, the publisher are right. There are people who see the size of the book on the bookshelf and don't buy it. Right. That said, I don't think that it... I, I want to spin another thought here once you once you finish yours. I think The Way of Kings is going to be a mile marker in the history of fantasy. Yeah, I agree. I think 50 years from now, we're going to look back and say a turning point in fantasy writing was the way of Kings published in 2010. 10. Yes. 2010 by Brandon Sanderson. And it's, it is that because it is what it is because he stuck to his guns and went with the Nope, I'm going to write something that is not targeted at 
book sales. It is targeted at what I want it to be as a story. And that I think takes it from good to great. Yeah. Everything you said, that's really good. The, the major or one formula that people always bring up is cut Shalon from the way of Kings and give us a Shalon novella between the way of Kings and words of radiance. Like the same way you do with lift between when she becomes a more character in the, in Oathbringer, you get a lift novella and you get introduced to her. But everything you're saying, Elliot, I completely agree with that. It's, it is a fundamental shift in the fantasy book market, if you will, to, to have the, to have the courage to publish this, his publisher, when he, when Brandon Sanderson wouldn't budge on this, he ended up publishing it. Right. Because, you know, obviously it's on our shelves. So yeah. to, to understand that, that fundamental shift in the, I'm writing the story because this is how I want the story to be written. Not, not because I want to sell more books. And one thing I have to add also, that's one thing that did keep me captivated. And it is with any show, movie, book I read or watch. Seeing when you jump across the world to another character, especially from the beginning, you're like, okay, how are our pieces going to connect? And that really intrigues me. I think that's why I loved our interludes so much all throughout, especially the early ones. That's why I loved uh, Zeth. Just wondering when our pieces are going to come into play and how they're going to come into play captivates me for whatever reason. And so having Shalon for that reason, I think is really good. Like that was helpful for me, even though the Shalon chapters early on were slower in my mind. Okay. I've got one thought to interject there before we move off it. Yep. Trevor, you said something there, which reminded me of something that Brandon said at Dragon's Deal 2022 that we were just at a couple weeks ago. It's that that moment where someone gets told you can't do that and they do it anyway and they're successful at it. Those people are the people who change like the course of history. You're talking about that that initial, you know, feedback he got away kings. Oh, you you can't publish a book that's too long. You know, give me give me half of it and I'll go sell it. He mentioned it at Dragonsteel 2022. He was talking about the most recent Mistborn Era 2 book, The Lost Metal. There were parts of that book, which I won't you know, mention for really vague spoilers, that the publisher came back and was like, Brandon, you shouldn't really do this. You're, you're going to alienate people. And Brandon said, no, this is part of my grand vision for what I want to do with, with the Cosmere. And he's stuck with it, and he's publishing it, and he's creating such a unique world. I, I had I got chills as we were sitting in the the presentation hall there, listening to Brandon talk, because I had the realization that with Stormlight, with the Cosmere, with with Brandon's work, we and I don't say this lightly, we are witnessing history be changed. I like I said a second ago, I I firmly think fifty years from now we are going to think back and and realize. We were in the room when Brandon, you know, got up and talked about this crazy Cosmere idea that I think is going to change the course of of fantasy writing. He's writing a world that requires such investment from his readers. 
that, yeah, it terrifies publishers, it terrifies editors, it terrifies new readers, but he's doing it anyway. And if you make that plunge to go in it, the, the payoff is so much larger than if it wasn't like it's it's so cool and i'm just excited that we're we're here reading along with it i agree all right pivoting a little bit paul you mentioned this a little bit hard magic systems versus soft magic systems what do you prefer should we define it first for those who don't know yeah um i can do that really quick uh, hard magic, uh, hard magic systems, and soft magic systems you see in fantasy. Soft magic is when there's like mystical magic that doesn't necessarily have strict rules that were given. Um, it, it's commonly explained or like referenced in like the Lord of the Rings, right? Isn't it like Gandalf makes light because he can just make light with his staff? We don't know why, right. but he can do that. Very cool. Um, hard magic systems are what we're looking at here on Roshar. We have strict rules of investiture, stormlight, uh, being used to use surges, which we understand. We have a finite like rules surrounding them. Um, my my thoughts on the matter is, I actually think for for my enjoyment of a story, I actually think I like the soft magic systems more so i'm hesitating to say that because i like the lengths that that we get to see the the expansiveness that we get to see with the magic system but especially book four it felt exhaustive to like learn everything right to to actually learn how it works feels more exhaustive i love the depth of like we have 10 orders of knights radiant Here's what they are. These are the surges they can do. I like knowing that, knowing the like array of powers, but like the actual mechanics behind it are what I'm not as interested in personally. So because of that, I think I'm I think I lean towards the soft magic side. Um something something I've learned about Brandon and his writing is that even when a magic system feels soft at first, it's not actually. He's going to explain yep. it later. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I actually felt that. Trevor, I think you made a mention at some point early on that we were going to have hard magic systems, or or you referenced that Brandon talks about a preference for that or something like that. But as we got like halfway through Way of Kings, when we first started to see like Kaladin do stuff, I was like in my head thinking, I don't understand any of this. This feels completely soft. Like that. It's just making it up. He he survives a a high storm because of the glowing in the spheres. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Power of friendship. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Or, or something. But but now that we're now that we've read Rhythm of War specifically, I have full faith that I'm so impressed by all the details that Brandon can can th- picture in his mind ahead of time. All the little bits, like we were just and I probably should keep it try try to keep it spoilerish free, but there's so many, so many little bits that he's clearly pre-planned ahead of time so well that I have full faith now that even if he presents me with something crazy magic that I've never seen before, I fully believe there's a physics, you know, lesson behind it that explains all of it. Right. And 
So I'm somewhere in the middle of, I, I want it explained to me eventually, but I'm okay with suspending my disbelief for the action sequence. So for instance, the Sander Lanch of the Wave Kings, he turns around, Kaladin is charging the chasm to go save Dalinar, and he swears his second ideal, he jumps over the chasm, he's got stormlight leaking everywhere. He doesn't stop to explain any of this until early words of radiance is when we is when he confides in Bridge for, okay, let's explore exactly what I can do. Um let's assume like assume for a second that you were reading this right when the Wave Kings came out. You're waiting three years to get that explanation, right? For us it was three weeks i mean something like that um but i am i do want to explain to me at some point but i am totally fine accepting that i probably got this foreshadowed to me at some point so i'm fine with him discovering this new power right when he needs it and then you can explain it to me later like that that's what i enjoy in a book, and that is definitely what Sanderson approaches with. So, what do you guys think about? What do you guys think about Spren? And as far as we know, this is this is unique to Roshar, right? And so, what do you think about that whole? In Shadesmar, there exists the cognitive souls, sort of of things yeah. and not just not, not just the, the the things having cognitive souls but then there's these beings that kind of mainly exist in Shadesmar but only show up in the physical realm sometimes or when they want to or as of the things I, I'll admit I was actually a little bit confused and overwhelmed by that when it first started to come through like when Shalon first goes into Shadesmar I'm like what the heck is going on now that we're later on, I think I like it. But what did you guys think? So initially, I thought I, I loved it. I, I love. I, th I think Sprint as a concept is cool. It's a really unique. I, I thought that was super unique, and I really appreciated that. My caveat with it is, if we have such like a an understandable magic system, there's still like gaps of logic with Sprint, in my opinion, of like. If it's whatever I think it could be, then that makes any possibility so could be anything that you still have to really suspend a lot of disbelief, you know, yep. which is that's that's part of reading fantasy and enjoying fantasy, of course. Um, but it I struggled with that briefly because of everything else. I feel like there's an answer to. And but then because of how. I don't know, free range Sprenor, like how, how free there is for things to happen. It feels so open to anything could ever, ever possibly happen. And I don't like that as much, I guess. I don't know if I can fully put my finger on it, but those are my thoughts. So here, here's what I'll say about this. I'll reference the poster behind behind you, Paul. 
um, Link in in the Legend of Zelda. He has a little fairy with him. He always has a little fairy with him called Navi, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think anyone at any point has wondered. Hmm, I wonder what the mechanics and rules of Navi are. Like, let's learn more about Navi. I don't think anybody has ever cared. He's just like, yep, he's got a fairy. Moving on. Sanderson mm-hmm. is like, all right, there's a fairy at the beginning of the book. Now let me sit. De- let me sit you down and talk about for two thousand pages the mechanics of exactly how this fairy works and interacts with and what this fairy can and cannot do and all, blah 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 blah. And that is a big critique of Oathbringer, the book I think is. Let me phrase that correctly. I think Oathbringer is the my favorite of the four. I do not think it is the most sound, like liter- literally, literally, one of the greatest critiques of Oathbringer is you just had this huge climax of Words of Radiance, of the Everstorm and the High Storm colliding. It's really cool, peak fantasy action, you know. And then we went to Kolinar and Kolinar fell. That was really cool. And now we're spending 600 pages in Shadesmar, dragging ourselves back up from this defeat. And you are explaining to me exactly how the mechanics of Spren work for 600 pages. And my my mother has has read the Stormlight Archive. She's very well read in both fantasy and non-fantasy. She says that that is her least favorite part of the Stormlight Archive is the Shadesmar trek in Oathbringer. There's a lot of people who say that as well. So, Spren as a concept, I think are very, very cool. Do I get a little over-explained? Me personally, no, but I completely understand where you're coming from if that's your critique specifically of oathbringer mm-hmm. of all the rules of spren yeah i i will say so i i think all three of us find spren fascinating if this was something we weren't we didn't weren't actually fascinated by it would probably be like a deal breaker cuz like okay this is so much of something i don't actually care about you know and that that is very fair. My dad um, is very similar. He's he he's the one who's my entire life has tried to get me to read. Um, he's read a lot of fantasy and nonfiction, um, and he, that was also his least favorite part, which I think is funny. I think it actually might fall in a, a place spread specifically where I almost would rather have either more explanation or less. It is in kind of a middle ground where I am with you that it does get a little bit drawn out. The explanation we do get, but it doesn't explain everything. It's right. still I'm still left with kind of a yeah, but how does this work? Whereas if it if we got less explanation, it would still just kind of fall in that. Oh, we don't really know about that. I do think though, I have confidence in Brandon. I think, I think Stormlight Five might actually go answer some of those questions for us. I think we're supposed to not fully understand Sprint yet. And I wonder, chalk this up as a, as a prediction, that that's actually going to be a big part of the dilemmas and the questions our characters have to answer in Stormlight 5. 
as we start to delve into more the unmade and some of the like what is Roshar, Spren are going to be a big part of that. So I wonder if Spren may actually be one of the ultimate journey before destination bits of this of we've been fed so much little by little over all these books and then book five is going to be the big this is what spren are this is why they're important here's a massive tidbit of information that rocks your cosmere knowledge like i think that's coming i have faith all right next up on the outline i just have one word and it says allegory. Okay, if you were to go up to Brandon Sanderson and accuse him of writing an allegory, he would be probably pretty offended, and he would claim that Stormlight is absolutely not allegorical. It is simply a story. And what you get out of the story is up to you, and I am simply telling a story how I want to tell it, and whatever you read between... I think Wit has a talk about this, actually, and... Um, Kaladin's like, what am I supposed to get out of this story? And Wit's all offended. Like, what do you mean what you're supposed to get out of the story? You're just supposed to get out what, what you need to in your situation. So this probably will circle quickly back to the C.S. Lewis versus Tolkien discussion on allegory. Are you supposed to deliberately tell your reader to think something or not in your fantasy book? Discuss. I want to go ahead and add something. So you're right. We, we, we saw that. I, I heard that, I guess, directly at Dragonsteel that we went to uh, not long ago, where Brandon said, you know, people will draw meaning from a story, of course. That's natural to do so. And I, I love that. Um, but he's not assigning a meaning to his story. Um, like a, a deliberate meaning. I will say, I think the most important thing for me to to walk away from a fantasy series and really love it is that takeaway message. Even if the characters I don't love, if I'm taught something through them, I will love the story. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, I think there's definitely allegory in the story. Especially, I think of the Way of Kings. Um, most notably, I'd say, like, start to finish, it's more of a complete story almost on its own. Um, and it it seems pretty direct uh, in, in there being a takeaway message. Um, I, I'll believe what Brandon says about his stuff, that he's not assigning its meaning. meaning that's fine. Um, I really enjoy that, whether it's intentional or unintentional. I love C.S. Lewis and I love Tolkien. So um, maybe I'm just between the two. Kind of, I love both on on this question. I think they serve different purposes as works of literature. You you can write a direct allegory to serve a purpose of trying to teach a very specific lesson. You can write a more broadly crafted fictional work that has elements of a story you're trying to tell or of concepts that you're trying to explore, which I think Brandon does very well. There are messages that you can clearly see, oh, I'm, I'm meant to take this away. I can see these characters 
wrestling with this, going on this journey for hundreds and hundreds of pages, and then they get to a defining moment. It's like, oh, okay, that's what this character has learned. I mean, that's character development right there. Right. And I think a, a good a good story is one that makes you ask those questions of yourself. You you read it and you say, Oh wow, Kaladin had to wrestle with this. Have have I ever had to wrestle with that? Have I ever thought about that? That's what shows me it's a good story. It doesn't have to be allegory to do that. In fact, I'm I'm more in the boat of I think a a non-allegorical story is a little more powerful and that you kind of get to the answer on your own. This is this is the wit Kaladin discussion, right? Yeah. If you you get to the answer on your own, it's so much more meaningful to you than if you're, you know, shown a poster, this means this and oh okay, this means this. Walk away. What well, it's it's also the Tolkien C.S. Lewis discussion. Tolkien was very adamant in saying that I'm going to write a story. Any any meaning you can apply to your own life, go ahead. That's fine. I'm not going to specifically write it in. And then C.S. Lewis was saying, no, the lion is this, and this character yeah. is this. Like the very two different two very yeah. different approaches. I actually want to mention something with C.S. Lewis specifically. I, I found this article a long time ago. There is a, what is this, from 1956? Okay. No, wait. <laughs> I think it was published in the New New. Okay, I, I'm pretty sure this is, I see a date on here that says November 18th, 1956 by C.S. Lewis. It's an article he writ, wrote it's in the New York Times, it looks like. And it says... It's titled "Sometimes Fairy Stories May Say What uh, May Say Best What Is to Be Said," and so that he very much he he talks about how um, if someone tries to tell you something significant and tell you to believe it, you're not very inclined to believe it. If you read something and you come to that conclusion you're you're very drawn to it you're you're like naturally accepting that because it's kind of something you're finding um and how stories are a good way to do that c.s lewis is very intentional in his like christian faith um there with his allegory um but but i really like that sentiment and, and think it's very true that stories fantasy stories can often convey meaning that that's can sometimes be hard to draw from other places or like the the meaningfulness behind it we can't always apply like we get perspective into characters lives that we might not be able to like see a scenario like that in real life and then like see how that could play out it is all fiction right, right. Um, but it can be very persuasive very like life shaping in that way so i really appreciate direct allegory like what c.s lewis does um but also i love a good story and you get to assign it meaning and sometimes it's really fun uh, that's why i love tolkien you know so those, those are my thoughts on the allegory i guess but uh if if you like c.s lewis at all or just fantasy in general i recommend looking up that article it's at least really fascinating to read i there are several things in stormlight where I feel like you could go either way on if is Sanderson trying a direct allegory or not, even though he claims he's not. The dog and the dragon. like the, There's meta-commentary in this chapter about, is this allegory? Because Kaladin says, 
is this the part where I'm supposed to to talk? Is this the part where I'm supposed to the dog the dog is me, right? And Wit is saying, well, we went well, but the dog and the dragon is the most one to one like story. Like, what am I trying to say? It's the most relatable that Kaladin has of all the stories that he's told. And I I feel like if any of Wit's stories are allegory, the dog and the dragon is, is, is one of you're, you're trying so hard to become something that you can't be appreciate what you've accomplished. Like, that's pretty straightforward what Kaladin's supposed to get out of that. So I, I wonder if Brandon Sanderson uses those stories as kind of a meta commentary on different levels of direct allegory. Yeah. One other thing I want to tack on to this, just as I'm thinking about it. Um, allegory, I think, is best for... Obviously, it's what, it's it's stuff you take away from a story, but I think that's what really sinks it in or sets it in as like a lifelong story that we can look back on. Right. Um, I'm pretty familiar with George R. R. Martin's writings, and it's an he writes excellent stories. Like as far as like a story perspective, like twists and turns and things you don't expect, and like depth and surprises and all sorts of stuff. It's really exciting, but I haven't really thought about any of his stuff in a long time since I was actually reading it because there's no real takeaway message or something to hold on to in that way that, that I have with some of my most like fondly beloved authors and storytellers, you know, um, because there's not really a message to take with you as you're going through the motions of the story. It's exhilarating. It's like a roller coaster. It's super exciting, but that's not, it, it doesn't sink in as one of my favorites because I can't go back and draw significance from it, you know? So I didn't think I had much to say about allegory and then we got the ball rolling. So <laughs> you guys ready for another literary analysis topic? Oh yes. I, uh... I'm enjoying this a lot. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the hero's journey. So there, there's a very clear cut hero's journey that is often used in in fantasy fiction. It was made, the, the concept of the hero's journey and the different elements that are included in the hero's journey, you, you'll see different definitions of that in different places, but most people point back to a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, which is a, a nonfiction book by Joseph Campbell, which was kind of an analysis of myth and psychology and the hero's journey, he basically laid out some steps of basically this is what a hero's journey is. And it includes elements like the call to adventure and the meeting of the mentor and the ordeal and the threshold guardians. These are all kind of major themes that come up in fantasy a lot. If you look at things like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, you'll see them very clearly laid out. If you kind of take the hero's journey map and you overlay it on those stories, it's like, yep, they move from one to the next to the next to the next. I think, I think Star Wars actually. Why am I blanking on his name? George George Lucas. George Lucas specifically quotes um, Tom or Joseph Campbell on 
as an influence in structuring like Luke's journey in Star Wars. My question is that I was wondering as we were reading through these books is, is Sanderson following the traditional hero's journey? And I tried to do a little bit of research on this and I found a lot of different blog posts and, and Reddit articles that a lot of people basically came to the conclusion of, yes, he is following the hero's journey. The funny part was no one could agree on what elements were what. <laughs> Everyone had a different take on, well, Kaladin is doing this. This is clearly the call to adventure. Or, no, the call to adventure doesn't actually come until later when he you know does this. And what I kind of got to was, I, I don't think he necessarily is, not in the linear traditional sense. He's taking a lot of the the different elements of it, but he's kind of flipping it on its head and doing it in different orders. And, and then as I was doing more research, I realized that Sanderson has actually directly talked about this very thing. There's, a, <laughs> there's an essay on his website called Form and the Fantastic, where he... I had to skip sections of it because it actually started to talk about Elantris. So mm. I had to like scroll down the page a little further. So there's bits of it I haven't read, but the parts of the essay that I did read talked about specifically this, the the hero's journey and how he intentionally took that as kind of a, a framework, but he did on purpose change it up, that he was going in different directions with it, that he was using fantasy fiction as a genre as kind of the the starting point but wanting to do something different with it which i feel like he absolutely did what are your what are your guys's thoughts do you feel like these characters are going on predictable kind of clear-cut journeys that have to hit specific milestones or do you feel like it's it's different and is kind of outside the box what what are what did you guys think so i think Basically, all of our characters have to have the, like, stereotypical start, in a sense. Like, you could apply something there. Like, I was thinking Shallan, I think, is a very unusual character. That was my, like, first thought of, like, no, she doesn't follow the traditional hero's journey. Um, hearing, hearing your explanation and more of a definition on that, there is kind of a... <laughs> kind of a sad call to adventure she goes to what carbranth to seek out yasna as like a mentor figure you could say that's like you know meet the mentor whatever but the way her storyline goes i would not say it's traditional at all that's not a traditional hero's journey um you could apply things with kaladin i think he's more of happenstance there and his nature won't let him leave if you will uh he's kind of been roped into things I think one of our most traditional characters may be Dalinar. There's a lot of characters that I would say very much are not the traditional hero's journey. Zeth, I would say, is very untraditional. Um, yeah, I think Shalon is very untraditional. Uh, some are. I mean, there's just an element of storytelling that's going to have to be there. Um, but overall, I would definitely say this is not uh, the traditional. So, here... I'll be explaining myself as I go. I don't know if this is a full-fledged thought. Maybe I'll dis, um, disprove myself here in a second. But I feel like this short answer is yes, but he has a twist on it of what if the reader doesn't know everything about this character from square one? The, the character knows more about the character than the reader does. And so 
if you just take the character's present day journey, then yes, that is a hero's journey. But while we're on that, I'm going to take you back here to this event, which character A may or may not remember. Shalon Dalinar, thank you. Um, and let me tell you about this, which gives you better perspective of where we're at. But if you if you take this current day, they're, they're on a fairly linear... I don't know if Dalinar ever meets a mentor. I would say the know it on. Know it on. That's what I, I was literally my first thoughts. Okay. Um, uh, the way of kings <laughs> in get in right. story. But as far as you know, Luke Skywalker, you know everything you need to know about Luke Skywalker within the first four minutes of of meeting him on screen. Dalinar, you don't know anything about. Well, you, you think you know Dalinar, and then you don't, and then you do, and then you don't. Yeah. Anyway. Um, same with Shallan. You you think you understand Shallan pretty quickly, and it turns out you absolutely know nothing about Shallan, and Shallan doesn't even know anything about herself. So yeah, that was the biggest one that got me was Shallan's backstory. I think so. It it's like yes, let's put them on a hero's journey, but let's mess with timeline, and then have two heroes' journeys like overlapping each other, and we'll have them meet at the same time, past person and current person, and so he does a couple cool things with that. I wonder, too, if an element that Brandon adds into the story, which which I love, makes it hard to compare to the hero's journey, and that's the, the mental health aspect of it. Yeah. The, you have a hero who is going to go on a journey, maybe you know learn some things along the way. That's kind of the traditional version. A still traditional but rather different would be more like the anti-hero of he's the hero – but he's also very flawed, but he's still going to go on the journey and learn some things and do some stuff. In this story, our heroes are not anti-heroes, I would argue, but they they have these mental... I, I don't want to use this word incorrect, but they, they, they have these mental blocks that they are trying to fight, the, these disabilities that they have to, to overcome. And it's, it's not a flaw per se it's an element of their personality that makes certain things difficult for them right and so they have to figure out how to be themselves with that aspect of them and figure out how to function how to achieve great things even though they have a some sort of handicap i'll say like that is very much outside of the traditional hero's journey in my mind. And I, I love it actually, because back to the whole, it makes you think, it makes you think about things you normally wouldn't. Shalon is a great example. A third of the way through Shalon's story here. I'm like, okay, I'm fed up with this character. Like just figure it out. I'm, I'm done with it. I don't even like reading your chapters anymore. But then we got to stuff later on conversations with wit, other elements of hers. That I was like, wow, what a powerful story. What a direction that went in that was so not Hero's Journey, but was so cool anyway. I, yeah. I think the mental health bit kind of throws a, a wrench into the whole traditional story. That That's mm -hmm. my theory. Yeah. So something I wanted to bring up and I've been curious to talk to you about is Sanderson's characters are very like actualized, very like real life like I could envision them as like a person yeah. in real life, not a story character. And I wanted to know y'all's thoughts on that. 
um like do you, they have such like completed backstories and like what like actually defined real life disorders with with several characters like do y'all like that much actualization um or kind of what are your thoughts there I think I think it's I think it's different. I I like it and that it kind of like I just said it makes me think about things differently than I normally would. Is it a little uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. Is it a little distracting sometimes when we're spending a lot of time going through and getting to see a lot more of a character than we normally would? Yeah, maybe. But I think it achieves what Brandon is trying to do with it. It makes us know these characters well so that when they have to make a really really difficult choice, we feel that difficulty with them because we know what they've been through. I think that's what the the detailed character actualization does for you. I'm very much on the more the merrier. I feel the the more I can relate to a character, the more I care about them, the more it keeps me going page turning wise so the the more i can put myself in this character's shoes tell me everything there is to know about this character i i want this character to have depth i want it to have meaning so that their meaning or their journey can be applicable to me if that makes sense yeah no that does make sense for me personally uh w- one thing that i love is with kind of the addition of a lot of real life things like you've shared before trevor like that brandon has said like officially like you know kaladin has a depression right right like and and so like seeing these real things in this story probably provides a provides a really good way to like relate to characters or see things like play out which i really appreciate for various characters that we have um, but for me, I really love developed characters and, and in like watching character development, you know, I, I'm in favor of the Moash redemption arc. I'll say it, um, stuff like that. If it's good, you know, of course, right. Uh, with, with Zeth, like that's been my, the things that I've been really eager to see is I want to see our characters go on this journey and be changed, you know, um, changed for the better. Um, but as far as like, I-, I love them being really fleshed out in their conversations with others and seeing them grow from where we meet them. Um, but it may have been a little over the top for me on some of the like depth that these characters go to. I feel like it almost takes away from how I understand fantasy of like, this is like a real person I'm thinking about. Like we talk about them like real people sometimes, you know? Right. Um, and so in my opinion, it's a little, a bit far on the characters. Um, I love a backstory that's integral to how they react. I think of Shalon, that was probably my favorite backstory, not because of what happens, but because of what it means for her character. Right. Um, and so I really appreciate those elements in our flashback chapters. I love the flashback chapters. But uh, as far as like making them feel like a real person entirely, um, 
it feels a little far for me. But anyways, I, I was curious to know y'all, your your thoughts on that. Does the does the weight of the book, literally, like the weight of the book, is that a pro or a con for you? Just one sentence, yes or no. The the in depth the the amount of detail that has happened, characters, story, world building, everything you get in one of these books is that a pro or a con? It's a it's a pro for the reasons we talked about before, journey before destination, all that. With the one caveat of, as a reader, you need to know what you're getting into. And you probably do just by the physical size of the book you just picked up or the ridiculous length of the audiobook you just downloaded. But if a reader isn't quite ready for what's about to happen, I'm sure it doesn't go well. Right. So my my one word answer, <laughs> I really don't like being pinned down to. Well, the thing is, I need to explain. I'll give my one word answer, which I think the sheer length would be a con for me. But my answer to this is, so I've kind of been guilty of, okay, so I re- every time I read through the, like, read the book, read our chapters for the week, I love them. I'm captivated, like, I want to know more. Whenever I sit and think about it, I'm like, uh, mm, it's all right, you know, whatever, you know, like, like, less keen on it. But every time I sit down and, and reread a chapter or see a page or things like that, I get instantly captivated by Brandon's writing. His writing is so excellent. His actual writing skill yeah. it is so excellent. And so it's really captivating. So I, I discredit it a lot whenever I'm not actually reading it, um, which is unfair, I think, uh, because every time I look back, like I went back and just reread the prelude and the prologue and like chapter one and and i was really captivated like everything going on it was so well written the phrasing was excellent um so it's actually i think it's easier to get through than i give it credit for because it's really nicely written so like whenever you're reading it it's fluid it goes well and everything but the sheer size of it, I would say, is a con, especially if you're looking to getting into it. If you pick up a book like, hmm, I want to try a new series, this book is 1,100 pages. Like, that's daunting. Right. I also say this ironically because, actually, after this, I kind of want to read The Wheel of Time for some perspective into mm-hmm. a big, a really big series. Because this is the biggest book series I've read, like, like most page count for sure, um, I believe. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, so I kind of want to get a real big one in there to to throw some more perspective. I'll I'll give you a little comparison point for that. I actually did exactly that probably about nine months ago. I got curious because of all the Wheel of Time comparisons and Brandon's involvement in closing out that series. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go give Wheel of Time a try. I, it's been on my list for a very long time and I never read it. I finished all of book one. I did not finish book two. I got about a quarter of the way through it and and could not keep going. Um, there were there were some things about it I thought were great. There were things about it that I wasn't super impressed with. So I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because I, I had that same thought train and I dove into it and I didn't get all that far. Got a little bit far, but not much. Yeah. If If you're watching this and you are in our Discord 
or just watching on YouTube or something, definitely leave a comment or, or let me know of a series that you think is like really like in depth long that's really good, like your recommendations, because I would like to read something that is like like in in terms of sheer size, Stormlight Archive is not the biggest at all. Um and so I'd like to provide some perspective because I've always read shorter series, you know, more on like the Mistborn kind of length, you know. So I, I'm actually really curious. The Wheel of Time is what's always stuck out, stuck in my mind because it's infamously long and um, everything. So, yeah, those are my thoughts. Let's talk about our feelings. How do you feel about the Storm of the Archive? How does it make you feel? Incomplete. Where's book five? Is this a, is this the therapy session? Diving into my my feelings here. Oh boy, we're a bunch of no. analytic people talking about the the nuance. <laughs> How does it make no. you feel? No thoughts, only stormlight. Yes, my. My my wife frequently tells me that I have I have the emotions of of a rock, none <laughs> at all. Um, but rock is very emotional. That sure, rock is rock is, sure is pretty is. emotional. Not not the emotions of rock, the emotions of a rock on the side of the the path. Mm-hmm. That that said, what do, what do I feel from Stormlight? I feel I feel inspired. I feel. I feel impressed with myself. I, I have that good, you know, satisfied, satisfied, that's a better word. Yeah. I feel satisfied after reading so much and setting the book down and, and thinking, man, I, I just read all that. And I went on a journey with those, with those characters. And it was awesome. Like those sometimes overwhelmed, sometimes exhausted. I ran track in high school. It's a similar feeling. Like when you finish a, a long race, and it it's like, man, that that hurt sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it wasn't super fun. But when I look back on it, it's like, man, I'm really glad I did that. Like that's that's the feeling I walk away from Stormlight feeling. My my honest feelings about it were Oh gosh. Um So I I definitely love the Stormlight Archive. It's going down as one of my top series as ever like like top fantasy stories i think it's a little bit different from other fantasy i read in that i think whenever i'm like let's say in a really good mood or having like a great time like i would read stormlight if i was ever more like somber or something like that i feel like i would read a different story for necessarily like a pick me up but just like um it has more dark elements. Um, there's a lot of unpredictable things, but in my head it was mildly predictable. I mean, so, some things. I'm thinking like the way of Kings was probably more predictable in my mind um, of like what what's going to happen. But um, but yeah, it, it's it's a I guess just a different flavor of of fantasy, but it's. A very tasty flavor. <laughs> the Storm of the Archive makes me feel like I just walked into a banquet hall and somebody said, eat whatever you want. 
if whatever you are looking for, it's here. You just have to find it. You have to get mm-hmm. there. It doesn't. It doesn't matter if you want characters, world building, weird, weird nuance about yeah. some random thing, corny dialogue, great dialogue. That everything is here at some point. You just have to go find it. So, is it? Not necessarily what I want at the time. Yeah, sure. Like the, the, I could be reading about the tones of Roshar that I don't really care about at this moment. Is it interesting? Yeah. Do I really care? Do I want Kaladin to finally swear his fourth ideal right now? Yes. That's what I want. Give it to me, please. So I know it's I know it's there. I just have to walk down the buffet line to get there. That's how I feel, is that it's it makes me feel very full. It makes me feel very satisfied, like you said, Elliot. Um, and I just have to walk the, the path that the author wants me to walk before I can get to the dessert at at the end. Yeah. I I think there is something, like, I once now that we've done the legwork to understand the world, understand what's going on, I think we really just get to reap the benefits of this story, being able to pick through whatever part we want to see, understand it, enjoy yep. it. It's great. Uh, I feel, I guess, cautious towards, like, I've mentioned, like, if you were just reading this on your own, like, as a standalone story, first time, moderate retention read, I feel like this would not be one of my favorites it would be super good it would still be in my favorites you know a great story but like it thrives off of its depth the fact that there's an answer for basically anything you could ever wonder about yeah. um, at least reasoning for everything you could ever wonder about i think that's where it thrives i don't know if it thrives if you were like i want a nice fun story to read like that's what you want you don't necessarily want to dive deep i wouldn't recommend the stormlight archive that that's actually a fantastic point. I think this this series ranks so highly for me, partly because of you guys, the two of you, and all the folks out there who've chimed in on our YouTube comments and, and Discord channels. Like any journey or quest that's really long and it's sometimes arduous, it's better with other people around you to keep you going, right? Like it, it sounds cheesy, but it but it's true. Like this story is best consumed with others, which is why I was trying to shove it in your guys' faces over and <laughs> over. I'm like, please shared experience, please. But mm-hmm. were you were you done with your point there? Yes. Okay. The Stormlight Archive was actually just the friends we made along the way. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Um. Is there a better way to present someone with the way of Kings than just shoving it in their face? I know you'll love it. If you read this, please read it. How would you guys present someone the way of Kings? I mean, if I know that they are interested, like they would be interested in this kind of story and like maybe going deep. I've sold people on it by Michael Kramer and Kate Redding's like excellent audiobook like I have as well like audiobooks like it's the best readers ever like they're really great and it makes it really nice to to hear yep um
I'm not entirely sure. I mean, if you like a message, if you like like mysterious characters, connecting pieces, connecting dots, if you have a very like inquisitive mind, like it's very good. It's very good for you. Um, as far as getting people to read it, I think you just have to do the shove it in their face and be like, "This will. This is your book. Please read it." Yeah, it's really if you speak highly of it, um, that'll influence others. Yeah, I I agree, and I think you do. You have, you always have to tailor your your approach to your your audience, right? If they've never read any fantasy fiction ever, Way of Kings might not be the best place to start. But if they've got some experience or they're ready for something big, I think I might just say, you know, I might try and warn them up front. This is going to take a bit of an investment from you. That this is going to, you know, you just hold up the book and be like, "This is going to take some time." But in my experience, it was absolutely worth it, and it brought me some of the most impactful moments as a reader I've ever been through because of that. I think that's what I would, what I would say for someone who I think is ready for it. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Anything else about the Stormlit Archive? Nothing else here. I think we've blabbed long enough about uh, this very long series. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything. If if we're uh, kind of cutting it here, you know, what do y'all think you're going to read next? Well, Stormlight, Stormlight or not Stormlight, you know, just for funsies. Me, me personally, I'm currently reading The Lost Metal. I am about a third of the way mm-hmm. through The Lost Metal. And then after that, I will probably be, probably be reading Secret Project 1. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by that time, we'll be back from our break. I'll talk about our break before we break. Um, but go ahead and answer the what are you reading next questions, guys. I'll, I'll go for it. I'm... I'm going to take a bit of a break from reading in general. I'm going to probably get through the the holidays here, not reading a whole lot. I do have, I have three books that I, I think I might try and, and get through before we pick up recording again after our break. One of them is Sanderson. The other two are not. There's a, a biography of a World War I general, General Fox Connor, that I really want to read. It's all about leadership and, and mentoring and stuff like that. The... Second thing I want to try and read is actually The Silmarillion. I haven't read The Silmarillion in probably two or three years, and it's one that for a while I read it almost every year. So I, I, I'm i overdue. And then you started a podcast. And then I started a podcast <laughs> where my entire reading list yeah. got uh, dictated to me, uh, which is not a bad thing. Uh, <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, over, I'm overdue on a, a Silmarillion reread, so I need to do that. And then if I run out of time, if I get through all that and I need more, I do have... Skyward sitting on a shelf yeah, by Brandon outside the Cosmere Brandon Sanderson so I I might use that as my filler if I run out of stuff quick it's quick awesome. Skyward plug Skyward is so good I it is a, it is a young adult novel if you're expecting like the grand scale of Stormlight you're going to be disappointed but for what it's for what uh, Skyward is self-contained Skyward is very very good That's awesome. Uh, For me, 
Um, we're talking about C.S. Lewis. I'm currently finishing up rereading Narnia. I haven't read it since I was very young. Um, I plan to either read Mistborn Era 2 next, or maybe and or. Oh, well, alongside, like, I'll probably start Mistborn Era 2. And like I said, I'm curious to, to start uh, Wheel of Time. It's one of those I've heard so much about that I kind of just want to see what it's all about. See if I can brave the the distance, um, and t- test myself there. I guess so. That's that's my main thought. I kind of want to try Wheel of Time. I also um, have some really trusted friends who've recommended Six of Crows to me. Um, I don't know if y'all know what that is. It's by uh, uh, Lee Bardugo, Bardugo, something like that. And I've heard it's really really good. I have a friend who she just started a podcast over that book wow. and series. And I, we, we, we talked about podcasts and stuff for a while there. It's, it's, I believe just two books, uh, but I've heard it's remarkable and it's not too long as far as I know. So I, I may look into that. All right. Sounds good. That wraps up our wrap up season one of following <laughs> no one on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I okay. feel like we're on at least our fourth season right now. You know. According to RSS.com, we're on our season two because I, oh, I nice. changed it on the hundredth episode. But um, so if you are an audio listener and you, your your audio feed will not update for a while, we are going on break. If you missed that announcement, um, we will probably reconvene. Or we are penciled in March. That is not confirmed all the way. We we might still tweak that, but we've penciled in March for a return date. It will either be Secret Project 1 or Mistborn. Still have not decided on that. Um, if you're curious to keep up with us, you can join our Discord. Uh, we're, we're hanging out in there, although we might be a little bit less active in our break just to give ourselves a, a mental pause from, from Cosmere stuff. That's part of the reason why we're going on break is because... Rhythm of War does feel like a nice pause to avoid podcast burnout from the three of us. We've got plenty of different things happening uh, for the three of us. So all that to say, we will be going on break. We will be back uh, later next year and to gear up for the long trek ahead of us before Stormlight 5. Pause real quick. Future Trevor editing here. I realized that I never actually got to my point there what i was going to say was audio listeners if you are seeing a during during our break audio listeners there will be more content added to youtube there's there's some bonus content on there already from the past podcast that has not gone on the on the feed so if you're starving for following note on content there is more content on youtube and there will be more content on YouTube during the break. So if you would like to view that, please go do that on YouTube and it won't be on your podcast feed. Also, during our break, we're trying to make a push for a thousand subscribers on YouTube so we can start the monetization process for for YouTube. So if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel and you listen to the podcast, if you go over there and subscribe, really appreciate it. Okay. Carry on. Releases. We I'm saying it now. Our goal is to be Stormlight Current the day Stormlight 5 
or sorry, the, our goal is to be Cosmere Current, have read every published Cosmere work the day Stormlight 5 comes out. That is the goal. So we will be reconvening well in time to get that on the calendar. Uh, any closing words, uh, Paul or Elliot? What a journey. Loved it. I was also going to say, what a journey. <laughs> Um, it really has been a journey. It, it hasn't really sunk in that it's been, what, 134 weeks, which is like well over two years now, two and a half years. Yeah. Um, it hasn't really sunk in that much. But yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to, you know, being able to focus on life things. Uh, but I'm also really excited to reconvene. All right. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. We won't reconvene next week. See you soon. Sign signing off. Not permanently. <laughs> <laughs>